0: Hello, and welcome to the New Lines podcast. I'm Lydia Wilson, and this is a podcast where we delve into some of the biggest ideas, events, and personalities in the Middle East and beyond. Today, I'll be talking to award-winning investigative journalist Tam Hussein about his article for New Lines magazine entitled The Facade of the Afghan Jihad. Tam, welcome to the podcast.
1: Thank you very much for having me. Really a privilege to be here.
0: In his article, Tam explains how the fall of Kabul last August resonated with Islamists in the West, reigniting old narratives and tropes about Afghanistan. Western supporters of jihadist groups, Tam says, are as guilty as any Bush-era neoconservative of flattening the complexities of Afghan politics into a simple, self-serving morality tale of good versus evil. Ever since the war against the Soviets... Afghanistan has been portrayed as a land of jihad. The apparent victory of the Mujahideen in the 1980s, just like the Taliban's victory today, promised a muscular, militarized Islam able to defend the faithful against the oppression and indignity experienced by so many Muslims in the West and across the world. Ignoring, of course, the oppression and indignity suffered by Afghans under the boot of these dubious heroes. As Tam explains, sympathetic communities passed around books and pamphlets and VHS videos spreading these propaganda narratives, combining them with anti-Semitic conspiracy theories about the new world order. The proliferation of false narratives and fake news is not exclusive to the 21st century. In jihadist circles, this has been going on for decades, he writes. Tam, your article goes deep into the history of mythmaking surrounding Afghanistan. But one of the things that makes it particularly interesting is that it's clearly not just an intellectual history, but one based on first-hand reporting. You've spent a big part of your career investigating jihadism, and that experience comes through in the essay. When did you first notice that Afghanistan and the Taliban were being mythologized in this way by Western sympathizers?
1: I mean, of course, when when Kabul fell, you, you you noticed you noticed on social media that they were being you know um, they were being celebrated. But I mean, I think that we saw we saw this very, very early um, at the turn of the millennium. We saw this um, Mullah Omar were being celebrated, and this is this is of course during my student days, even before I was a journalist or any of these kind of things. This was just the spirit of the times. You noticed that people were were looking at Mullah Omar as almost almost a savior figure, um, and it was a given almost that you know you had to kind of back him, and so on. So this is not something that you know uh, just just came out of nowhere. This is something a trend that had been going on for for decades.
0: Yeah, um, you're talking. Yeah. yeah, you're you're talking about pre nine eleven here.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And-
0: and so, how do you how do you see nine um, eleven changing that or, or emphasizing that? What what happened around nine eleven narratives?
1: You know, I think some of the people that I went to university with, um, I mean, it was an it was a wake up call, um, and some of the friend, some of my friends that I uh, I went to uni with, they went they went to Afghanistan uh, mm-hmm. and I actually lost. Two people there, uh, actually. As a result, as a result of this, um, so this is really personal. Absolutely, absolutely, it's personal. And and you realise, you know, when you go on this, I mean, in fact, uh, it's one of the reasons probably why why I'm so interested in it. But um, and then you see this in Syria, the same thing almost. You know, some of this, the same stuff that you that that we 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 were going through our university years and seeing this stuff was going on in Syria. The only difference was, the people that suffered were Syrians. And these guys were coming in saying, I'm going to save the Syrians almost. They had this this almost, uh, I I, I don't mean to, almost like colonial mentality. We're going to school these Syrians uh, about Islam. I'm like, I'm like, man, (laughs) we are doing the same, you know, it's the same old, you know, Uh, sorry.
0: So when you say that we were seeing the same things with Syria, what kind of narratives were the same between the Afghan jihad and then the later
1: Syrian conflict? So, so what I saw in Syria was some of these guys were saying, look, he had been, you know, they would argue almost from authority. I'm going to take the lesson of such and such person because he had been to Afghanistan. or he's an Afghan veteran and so on. He'd fought in these th- these places. And Afghanistan always took on took on that legendary status. A lot of these guys were, you know, had the Afghan dress, the pahul, uh, and so on, uh, and you're like, okay, uh, do you know that probably these guys that were serving probably didn't even serve, you know, fighting the anti-Soviet conflict, probably fought, you know, took part in the civil war, and you see this a lot. A lot of people don't actually. A lot of these boys weren't aware of their of what transpired factually, historically. Mm-hmm. And in actual fact, that's one of the reasons I wanted to. Um, I, I I decided to write um, to the mountains because I wanted to really unpack and show that look things were far more. I wanted to just make the narrative more complex because history is complex.
0: And know? what had happened is that that history had been very flattened. And in order to produce these kind of heroes, and and as you say, legends. And what comes across extremely clearly in your essay is the romanticization of jihad. For example, you described um, the the stories about martyrs who begin smelling of perfume when they're killed, or or there were flocks of birds helping in a particular fight and, and aiding the Mujahideen to victory. And you also give a very good example of this being taken up in the West by Cat Stevens or Yusuf Islam in his song, Afghanistan, land of jihad. So, do you still see this aspect of jihad, the 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 romantic aspect, as important in the way that Afghanistan is still talked about in the West?
1: I mean, I think, in in many ways, you know, the Muslim world they, they were reeling from reeling from so many issues that Afghanistan almost became you willed it to be the land of jihad. Now, I, that's not to denigrate, of course the sacrifice of what Afghans did. But I think where the Muslim world were at the time, Afghanistan became something more. I think a lot of people gave much more meaning to that country than it was. Just like if you look at Syria now, a lot of people give that uh, a sacral meaning because of, let's say, because of what, let's say, they need. Remember also that Syria has, is if you look at, for example, a lot of the traditions, you have you have prophetic traditions mentioning Syria and so on. So it has a sacral element to it and it, it elevates it. And and you find that with Afghanistan sometimes. Um I, I should say though that if you read, for example, Charlie's war, uh, it's not it's not just you know Muslims that felt you know were awed by by these Afghans fighting the, you know, fighting the Russians, it was also, of course. Uh, the Americans. Um, there is an account about Muhammad the Conqueror taking down two Heim choppers and twenty Spetsnaz men with a doshka, uh, and you know, Casey, you know Casey would keep that and play that to himself, and really be boosted by by the achievements of just one one mujahid. So I don't, I, you know, th- th- these legends. I think it, it kind of spread not just within the Muslim world; it also spread onto Western culture in general
0: well i think we can probably see that as mm. as part of a very long history of of glorifying war yeah. you know we we kind of need these heroes don't we and we and Absolutely. we need to fit it into a narrative of of good and bad which lends itself very well to mythologizing Absolutely. you talked in your essay about how how these how these figures were were Mythologize themselves, yeah. Um, and I wondered if you're still seeing those same stories now um, with with the recent news in Afghanistan.
1: Of course, um, you, you see. You see. I mean, especially on the on, on the online forum. Uh, if you notice, you know, well, there are some some of the responses were because I had said uh, that Abdullah Azam may have simplified things and so on it was almost people just shut Now, i'm not going to listen to listen to read this article because he said abdullah azam did x y and z mm. but i mean if you read for example thomas Haghammer's book on him you know the, the man you know he he's a complex historical figure uh, yep. and he was a young man uh, and young men you know <laughs> tend to oversimplify things when he was right he was there he was in his in his 40s mm. you know early 40s so 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 my point is uh, of course, uh, Bin Laden and Abdullah Azam is still mythologized, uh, and we we really need to treat them as historical figures.
0: Yes, yes. I, mean, I think not that's. Over... that's
1: I, I think that was the whole point about whole point about this article. Let's. I, I wanted to take take it out of myth and make them into historical realities. Because what happens if we don't? Is I believe you know whether that's Afghan Syrians, uh. Or if you look at, for example, the First World War, it was the ordinary soldier who went to his death. For what? You know, for what?
0: Yeah, absolutely. No, it's very important to to actually look at the reality of these things. I mean, another point that comes across in your essay is about the conspiracy theories that are being latched onto. now. This has been going on, as you said, for decades. Um, But one thing that was very curious was that they were adopting things like the New World Order. And for any listeners who aren't familiar with that particular conspiracy theory, um, it basically alleges that there's a cabal of secret communists or let's say globalists. It's a very anti-Semitic based theory are using the United Nations to create a totalitarian one world government. It emerged from the fringes of the American far right over the 70s and the 80s, uh, but then gets adopted into jihadist propaganda. I wondered if you could tell us a bit more about how that idea crossed over and became absorbed into jihadist narratives.
1: So I'm going to tell you how we came across it as we were growing up. Um, I think that's probably the best way. I mean, what what you've told me, for example, about how those, those narratives exist in the 70s, 80s. You know, had I not mm. read about it, I wouldn't have known about it. It's just like it, I just remember these were tapes being sold outside, you know, mosques on a Friday. Right. Uh, and sometimes, uh, for example, I remember there was a shop uh, on Baker Street with that, that would have these VHS VHS videos and you would go in and you could just say, oh, I want to listen to him and you want to listen to him and so on. So it wasn't, you know, uh, th- this was in the day of tapes mm. um, and you would you would you could listen to these. And they were freely available and it was not seen as anything but actually no it was was very you know there was no as if it was true almost and that's how it traveled that's how it traveled into you know um is the the, in in a way i mean when you look at Sheikh hamza yusuf's new world order the the talk there you know he it's it's maybe he talks in a very, very intellectual way but some of these ideas had traveled, you know, trickled through, trickled in, and it's still there now, isn't it? Even more it's... seriously.
0: Oh, absolutely, yes. It's all over the internet now, I'd say. But tell me a bit more about the ideas. What were you absorbing through these VHSs and the cassettes that you so, can buy anywhere?
1: You, so, for instance, you, what you would have, you would have, of course, the New World Order, uh, you would have from, uh, you know, In the Shadows. In the Shadows was, I mean, if you, it, it's worth, because it's still on the YouTube, and you can listen to the comments just below the impact that *In the Shadows* had—it's—it was, you know, reversing tunes, back, 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 playing Madonna's songs and showing you, look, this is, here is, uh, you know, when you play in this, where you can hear evil, you know, evil messages and subliminal messages and all of these kind of things, which sounds silly now. But at the time, it was like, "Wow, my my eyes have been uh, opened." And in right. fact, was a comment in on YouTube saying, "You know what? I heard this twenty years ago, and my eyes are now open." Um, right. I, and this this was not, you know, I I don't mean to, you know, it's it's easy to laugh, but actually, this was this was the sense. Um, this th- this was a time where a lot of these things, you know, w- were widely available and accepted. Um, I remember being given a book. I mean, I'm, I graduated from history. Um, on ten sixty six, right. Of course, when William Hastings uh, <laughs> invaded, but it actually had something to do with the Freemasons, right? <laughs> yeah, and I'm like, okay, this is this is balmy, but this was something that was that was being sold.
0: But it's yeah. not just then, is it? These conspiracies are alive and well now. Maybe not exactly the same ones, um,
1: but, but they build on something, right?
0: Right, and you know. they've been. There's a very clear continuity, I would say. Exactly, um, and that particular conspiracy, the New World Order, that wasn't the end of the crossover with the far right or the alt right, as we've come to call it. Um, and I'm, I've just read a recent report from the Institute of Strategic Dialogue, um, which detailed how Gen Z Islamists online are borrowing all sorts of language and imagery and themes and conspiracy theories from the alt-right. Um, they've named this Inconnected um, ecosystem of young internet-savvy Salafi influences Islamogram. Now, The report describes the Taliban's capture of Kabul as a particularly clear example of this convergence between the alt-right and this, you know, Gen Z Salafist subculture. Can you say anything about how this Islamogram reacted to the Taliban victory? And what makes it so illustrative of this crossover with the
1: alt-right? So what what was very interesting was it was almost the reason the Taliban won was because. They had, um, they had kept to their values. They were far more masculine. Um, they hadn't abandoned their manhood, and so on and so forth. So you could see, because I remember finding videos where prominent far right um, activists or alt-right activists had basically said, "I, you know, I respect the Taliban," and then they 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 explained the reasons why, and you realize, okay, there is. It's almost a reaction towards. Uh, a certain current within the left. Um, I th- Yeah, probably a certain current within the left. Um, and you saw why the Taliban made sense to them because it basically, it's almost like it's uh, pure masculine, masculinity uh, and religion and all of these things reasserting itself like it used to be. Right. Right, like it used to be. And you see, when you're like this, this is what happens.
0: Right, so there's nostalgia.
1: Um, nostalgia, exactly. There's a um,
0: sense that there's this time in the past when you, however you is described, was strong. And the unifying feature that I see um, across the alt-right and the Islamist discussions are, of course, bound up in, in a very toxic masculinity and misogyny. So we also includes men Um, This time when men were strong. And of course, that's most easily seen in times of war. Um,
1: And so that's
0: I saw that being very much celebrated Um, and also the kind of nationalism, this kind of hyper authoritarianism. And a nationalism that you know <laughs> we could call fascism, right? Um and, and Trump really exemplified this this type of leader. And I think there was a certain longing for that strength of nation. Um yeah that's I was...
1: use the word that it's it's longing isn't it? Whether you know whether mm. the Taliban let's say embodies any of these things it's it's almost irrelevant. It's what you want to see in 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 their yeah. representation of course Taliban they're they've got different factions and, and so on and so forth. But if it's what you want to see in that, um, right. Right. And, it's... And, and, and that's where you see the memes. I remember seeing a meme actually, um, it wasn't actually a far right meme. It was a, uh, it was a meme whereby they were saying, so Britain and France were fighting over fish. Then it had a picture of, it was two dogs, two, two collies, I think they were, they were fighting over fish. But then before they, they had them dressed up in kind of Napoleon and, and Nelson or something fighting <laughs> over the empire. So, you know, this yeah. is where we've become. and This is this is where we are now almost. And you're like, OK, I could see that. And I've seen similar me with the Taliban and, right. um, and the West, you know. Uh,
0: interesting. Yeah. Well, we did. We saw a lot of those sorts of of themes through Brexit, didn't we? um harking back to a, a mythical strong past and again a lot of oversimplification you're saying you know the Taliban isn't actually one thing and that was glossed over and still is glossed over well the same sort of thing happened with empire you know it wasn't exactly seen as complicated it was seen as glorious and
1: and i think i think one of the things that we need to do when we study when we when we're, when we're covering the Taliban is actually I mean, I, you guys are lucky because we've got Fazil Qazizai um, at New Lines. That's right, but, you know, yes. like
0: you,
1: you know, it's about complexity. You know, that it's just as we report things that it's the more complexity we can introduce, the less we allow for these narratives to form. You know? Yeah. Uh, that, I think that, in my view, is, is the key. It doesn't, you know, you're not putting necessarily um, a value judgment because you know these are things that happened in the past but the more we the more information the more complexities we introduce we kind of disrupt these narratives um that form i think out of an out of human need
0: yeah well the question of what to do about it is of course really complicated and that's partly um that that as you say it is a human need and And simplicity often satisfies that human need a lot more than complexity. It's quite hard taking a complex message to somebody who already thinks they have the right answer. And then, of course, another massive difficulty in addressing a lot of these theories, whether they are from the far right or Islamist or just um, some... anti-vaxxing conspiracist um is that they are somehow impervious to outside influence because alternative messages are dismissed as as part of the paranoid worldview they can even feed the conspiracies so you know if you have a myth-busting type of communications campaign from the government in the government yeah yeah, you're taking those myths and, and the people who already believe in them will say, well, the government would say that. Yeah, exactly. So actually, we're right <laughs> because uh, the government exactly. are behaving exactly as we would expect them to behave.
1: It, it's, you, you don't win, do you, sometimes? No. You? You know, it's, it, that's really, really hard. I mean, I, I, I think personally, uh, it's, I mean, critical thinking. Uh, we, we, we really need to focus on that in school. You know, and I think literature... And these kind of things actually have have a place as a result of it because you're forced to read situations, you know, forced to deal with situations that you've never been in before. Uh, uh, so it's, it's very, very difficult to not see the other side, you know, um, whether that is, let's say, I don't know if you, you know, read Giovanni's Room or something like that. Hang on, hang on a second. I'm reading Baldwin. Um, I thought he was x y and z i thought these people were this way and then i read giovanni's room or you read something else of Baldwin, when you realize okay it challenges your own notions or prejudices yeah. that you have you know
0: yeah but then if we go back to what you said about an emotional need is there any way that thinking can really challenge our our emotions and the second thing of course is yeah. that romanticization quite often is also impervious to, to rationality. If you believe that the, the dead body of a martyr is going to smell of perfume because because of the blessing from God Himself, that's not something I don't think critical theory can really touch. No, Would you you're agree?
1: right. Yeah, I, I agree. I agree. I think. I think. Look, with with some of these things, it's almost. I wanted to kind of say, okay, you want to have that, but you need to put that as put that aside and think about kind of the consequences of some of these things. You know, you want, you want to have romantic views. Okay. But just remember that, you know, the people that are going to pay the price almost is not, it's not going to be you because you're going to be, you're going to be sitting at home um, here. Whereas it's going to be Afghans who are going to face that. And I, I actually felt I was really, really in, in, I not, not necessarily. I mean, I was quite upset in the sense that these people, these people were making judgments of these poor people trying to leave, uh, and mm. insinuating motives for why they wanted to leave, you know, uh, uh, from Kabul Airport. Yeah, there was there was that emotion, and on the other hand, it was like, okay, why do we think that Afghanistan is just Kabul Airport when we, when, when the news was being covered? So it was you were almost c- kind of stuck in between, between these two these two emotions. You're like, how do you how do you come out of that? As a journalist, I felt that I needed to really just try to report as fairly as i could and complicate matters as much as i could in a way in Mm. order for people who read it realize okay if they leave thinking things aren't as simple as i see it then i've succeeded
0: right right that does make sense and also what you're talking about um is the humanization
1: absolutely
0: that's what we need. We need to know why those people were running away or, or why people chose to stay and all the rest of it. And then I, I think that might be as important, if not more, than critical thinking myself. Um, yes,
1: and, uh, and, and, and also I think uh, uh, maybe this is an un- un- unpopular thing, but I, I believe that you, we should do that with, with anyone, especially as journalists. We, you also need to do the same thing with, if you're covering, let's say, the Taliban, you know, you need to make sure that you do the same thing with these, these are human beings that yeah. you, you, you see those aspects as well, because if you don't, then you, you, you do that. you do the opposite, you know, when you dehumanized, uh, you know, the Taliban, let's say, then it's very easy to drop bombs on on the on Taliban village as it were, you know, and then yeah. just say that they're, they're Taliban and that's it, let's close that. And then that's, an, that's another issue. You can't do that. The more, the more color we put into it, you know, at least fr- from where we're, where we're sitting or, then we can be far more. We can make decisions that hopefully will save lives. You know.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. We we don't want to fall into the good evil absolutely. narrative either way. Um, of but that of, of course doesn't mean that you
1: can't hold. You know, you you don't necessarily. You know, that doesn't. You know, make them impervious to holding them to account. You know, we oh, have yeah. our sensibilities when it comes down to. You know what we think about. Uh, education and so on and so forth we have these views that doesn't mean that we shouldn't ask them and we shouldn't question them and so on but it's sure it, it's it's so important that we don't you know?
0: yeah oh absolutely um and so I mean to go back to this this idea of a continuity from the 1990s and how and how this information was so available to you and your friends and you were all part of a of an of an of course, offline network, because this was pre-internet. And, and now we see the same sorts of tropes and conspiracy theories circulating even more online. Um, but do you think there's still an offline component to all this? Are you seeing these ideas circulating amongst real-world networks as well?
1: I, I think so. I think so, definitely.
0: What, uh, how, how are you seeing this?
1: Because in, in the way people talk. Um, so I remember... I sat down with a. Um, I mean, it was very clear that he was uh, he was thinking about going over to Syria and so on. Um, you know, because he wouldn't listen to me. You know, I just I just realized, okay, he's he doesn't trust mainstream media, he doesn't do this, he doesn't do that. Um, so I said to him when we sat down, I said to him, look, man, um, you know, I've been to these places, and I had to kind of show him, look, okay, the tomato prices. It's true. These are things that they have regulated, but these are the, the things that do, they're doing X, Y, and Z that I've seen with my own, own eyes. And so then he took yeah. that on board. So where is he, you know, th- these are things that he's hearing. It's not just on our online forum. It's a, it's a human, you know, it's a, it's a, it's human contact that he's having. That's, that's how I've, that's how I've seen it, experienced yeah. it. Um, I should say though, that when we were growing up in the nineties and the early noughties, this was, you know, I wasn't necessarily unique in in the current. This is just what it. You know, if you were if you were at university, um, and you're a Muslim kid, you're you're gonna go you're gonna go through this. I happened to go to uh, Queen Mary's, which was quite which was quite known at the time for a lot of that sort of activity. That and uh, UEL University of East London. These two, they were fam- They were known for that. Um, but the difference was i mean i studied history a lot of these guys they were quite binary in the in the in their education they they came from technical subjects um so when i was given let's say a book on the caliphate i turned i flipped the back in the book at back at the back i think it rashad wrote that looked at the back and where's the footnotes you know where's Mm. the sources almost Mm. you know whereas you know they were giving you um pamphlets on Saladin which was like 30 you know 20 pages I'm like what is this this is a joke you know? <laughs> so you were more questioning
0: because of I, what you were studying I think
1: I think again I think liberal arts uh, just gives you that like okay yeah. how, how can you take this seriously you know you, it gives you a certain sort of training I'm like I'm, I'm not gonna you know accept these things that you're, you're telling um, my friends and a lot of the ones that went over they, they came from a technical background so and I think it matters a lot
0: I mean, so that is one massive change since then. I don't think these materials are circulating in the same way, but of course they're much more available in a way online. Yes. What, what do are. you see as the differences in how people are absorbing these messages given that they're coming through very different media?
1: So some of this stuff, there are the the it's sound bites that I'm seeing, but they're the same old sound sound bites. Hmm. so it's you know? the same thing just so dressed up I, I, differently absolutely i mean like these you know yeah they, they present presented difference but the sound bites are the same i've heard the same sound bites um in fact um in fact for example guys like uh um jihadi john you know they, they were they, they were aware of you know books that and and tapes that had that was available in the in the '90s and the early uh, late '90s.
0: Oh wow! You know, so it's the same mate- not just the same message, the same material is being used. Like, for
1: example, uh, well, I did a Twitter, uh, I did a Twitter thread, but like for example, um, Heart of Green Birds, for example. Um, oh yeah. Was uh was an epic tape almost in the '90s. You know, it was going around. It was it was very, very available, and um. It was available. It's, it's it was available, available again and, through ISIS channels, and, I and think. Still. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You, can, you know, they 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 share it and so on, and it's something that um, they listen to and they get inspired by. So it's not, you know, some of these messages that they're still listening to, and that's yeah. not you know, that's that's established, you know. Um, it's recycled because I don't I don't think the messages, uh, you know, for for all the sophistication of you know the videography and production. Uh, Production quality of, let's say, ISIS and so on. You know, many of these ideas. You know, I I didn't see much of a difference in in the nineties and and now, I genuinely didn't. You know, and I'm not well, saying that because I want to pick on anyone specific. It's just like something that I'm not. You know, those ideas that they were doing is just the issue is scale. Right. You know, scale has increased, but some of these ideas were there.
0: Well. They're very, very durable for all the reasons we've touched on. They they satisfy an emotional need. And yeah. that just shows what what a difficult task it is to shake some of these legends and
1: ideals. Absolutely. Absolutely.
0: Well, Tam, thank you so much for taking the time to explain all of this. Um, and I hope
1: I succeeded. I'm not sure I did. I,
0: I think so. I, I, and, I'm
1: not sure I did.
0: Um, well, if you'd like to hear more, um, you can follow Tam on Twitter at Tam Hussein, and you can read his essay, The Facade of the Afghan Jihad, on our website, newlinesmag.com. This week's podcast was produced by Joshua Martin and hosted by me, Lydia Wilson. You can subscribe to the New Lines magazine podcast on your favourite podcast app. And of course, you can find more of the best stories from the Middle East and beyond on our website, newlinesmag.com. Thank you all for joining us and we'll see you all next week.